I want to begin this evening by stating the obvious. Let's start with something simple. Every one of us here has a past, a present, and a future. We've all got that, a past, a present, and a future. Some years ago, uh, I was writing to a man who was in prison, and it was clear that his past was dreadful, that his present was dire, and that his future was bleak. But I was able to write to him and say to him, your past does not have to define your future. Your past does not have to define your future. And thinking of the gospel, we are able to say to folk outside of Christ, he can forgive what you've done and change what you've become. And so this is true of everyone who becomes a Christian. Through the gospel, God wipes out our old past and he creates a new and wholesome present. And he promises to us a bright and certain future. And it is all tied up with, it is all to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to think about our past and about our wondering. How wonderful it all is. So let's think then of him. Let's think of who he is and what he's done in the past and what he does today, and the, the promises that he makes for the future. Let's think about that first Christmas, the real Christmas, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The birth of that baby was the same in so many ways, but it was also so very, very different. Here is a normal and ordinary child one who shares our flesh and blood, our humanity. But he is a sinless human being. So he is the same, but he is very, very different. The angel comes that first Christmas and announces the birth of the child. But the child is holy. The child is the son of God. The shepherds go to see the one who is pronounced to be Christ and who is the Lord. But the sign they're given is that they will see an ordinary baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. The, the ordinary way of dealing with an, an infant in those days, the, 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 the baby grow of the day. The Lord is the same, but so very, very different. And this baby grows through infancy, on into childhood, and then into mature manhood. And he does so in the usual way. And so here he is. Now he is a mature man. And he is exhausted as an ordinary, real, true man after those long, long weeks of work. And he steps into the boat he sits down on the leather cushion at the back and boom, he's gone. He's fast asleep. An ordinary man. He's like everyone else. When we're tired, we just simply fall asleep. But when that same man is woken in the midst of a terrifying storm, he stands up as best he can 
probably hanging onto the side of the boat, and he speaks to the waves and the wind, and he tells it to stop its raging. And it does, immediately. So that there is a total flat calm. That's miraculous in itself. Because you and I know that when the wind stops stirring up the water, once the wind is gone, the waves carry on tossing for, for ages afterwards. But no, stop your raging wind. Stop your, stop your raging waters. Dead calm, flat calm. And the men who were in that boat, and I'm convinced now, the Lord's at the, the rear of the boat by the cushion, and they're, they've all, they've all scarpered to the front end. They're in the bows, and they're saying, who is this? They were frightened at the storm, but now they're super terrified at him. He's like us, but he's so very, very different. And in the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, we have this wonderful mix of the human and the divine. He's so different, isn't he? This man lives perfectly. And that is so vitally important to our salvation. Our salvation, past and present and future as believers. Here's the Savior's perfect life. And that perfect life becomes an offering for sin. Someone has said this, speaking about Christ, the God-man. The quotation is this. He had to be a man in order to be our substitute and suffer and die. But he had to be a sinless man to atone for the sins of others. But then he had to be God to give that sacrifice an infinite value in order to bear the wrath of God and to, to deliver all others from that wrath. And so Jesus is born and he's given that name, as we saw this morning, which means saviour or strong saviour. He grows and as he moves through his life, we read that he is pleasing both to God and to man. As a man, the father is able to say, this is my son. I am totally pleased with him. You know the occasion. Here he is being baptized by John the Baptist. And thousands of thousands of people have gathered around John at the river's edge. There are thousands of people there, but there's only one man God can say that about. You could gather the whole population of the world that's ever lived. And there's only Jesus of whom the Father can say, this is my son, my beloved, I'm pleased with him. Pleased with his life. Pleased with his teaching, with his miracles uh, and, and all of those things that declare and reveal him to be the God-man. And then our saviour dies. He hangs upon a tree. And the one who is beloved of God is now the cursed of God. He's bearing the sin and the punishment that others deserve. He is the required innocent victim and he dies in the place of others. As the hymn writer puts it, 
bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Remember that phrase? That phrase I mentioned just before. He can forgive what you've done. He can change what you've become. And that's our saviour. Through the gospel, which means good news, through the good news of the gospel, he wipes out my sinful past and he gives me, he gives us a new sinless present. I can take my sinful words, my sinful thoughts, my sinful actions and attitudes. I can take the whole thing that comprises me as an unbeliever and I can put it all on the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith I do that. All my guilt, all my shame, everything that would condemn me, I put on Jesus onto the cross. Every item, every detail of it, and it is dealt with. Oh, it's wiped away in a moment. It's removed from my account. That account is gone. That record in heaven, it's obliterated, never to be seen again. And I have a new account. I'm accounted to be the righteousness of God in him. Nothing about me, it's all about him. And so if the Lord Jesus Christ is my substitute, then there is nothing in my old past which can ever arise to condemn me. And so we're thinking about the past. And the word I want us to have in our minds is wondering. Wonderment. My past is now reckoned by God to be a clean, holy, pure, innocent past. I have a new status with God the Father through Christ. I am 100% in the right with him. I am now a justified man. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I've become a true child of God. I've been adopted into the royal household, the family of faith. I'm now treated by God, not as a sinner who deserves to be condemned, but I'm treated as a son and as an heir. I'm beloved. I am loved. You are a believer tonight. He loves you. It's startling, isn't it? He loves you. And he loves us with an unfading and unending love. And because of that, we know peace with God, peace in our hearts and peace with one another. Dear friends, we belong. Oh, we belong. You know, there are folk out there, they are desperate to know that somebody loves them. They're desperate to have some, somewhere, someone to whom they belong. And here we are. If we are truly Christ's, then we belong. We are, we are not counted as second class citizens. We haven't just scraped in to the heavenly, um, uh, blessings. We're not, we're not in Christ under sufferance. And so we look back. We look back to what Christ has done. And we are filled with loving, adoring wonder. Wonderment. For all our remaining days on this earth, 
as we walk with him, we are filled with wonderment that such a one as he is should be prepared to bleed and die in my place and to give me all that he gives me. You're the same if you're in Christ. Why, O oh Lord, such love to me? Are you filled with wonderment as a believer? I came to Christ in 1966, and that wonderment has never left me. And it's grown, and it has grown over the years. Why would God plan such a thing as the cross? Here is Christ crucified before the foundation of the world. Why would the Lord Jesus Christ do such a thing as to come into this world? He's clean and pure and holy. And he comes into this darkness, this dreadful world. And he's heading for the cross. Why would God do that? And why would the Holy Spirit come and make it all real for me and for millions of others, for you and for all the rest who belong to Christ? I look back to those, that particular time when I was introduced to the gospel. Why would Christ, why would he put me in the way of the gospel? So that I would hear it and understand it and believe it and be convicted by it, and then repent of my sins and embrace the gospel. Why? It's a matter of wonderment, isn't it? And if you belong to Christ, you have a testimony of repenting of your sins and coming in to all the blessings and all the privileges that Christ will give us. And it is all a cause of wonderment. I'm not sure that's a real word, but, it, but that's you, you, you catch him where I'm coming from. Oh, aren't we so undeserving? Why would Christ come to us and bring the gospel to us? Such unpromising material. So little return on his investment. So little progress down the years. And so I look at my new past. And I'm filled with wonderment. Well, we need to move on. Move very quickly to the present and then into the future. If the word for the, our past is wondering, then for the present it is walking. From wondering to walking. The Saviour has won our hearts through the gospel. And now our desire is to walk with him. To be doing everything that is pleasing in his sight. And so in our present condition, it is walking with the Lord. We say this, don't we? That if we have a new record in heaven... Then we begin a new life on earth. I love these little phrases. I just love them. They're so helpful, aren't they? And so we begin a new life on earth, a new walking. We're walking in a new direction and we're walking with someone who is brand new, the Savior himself. And so as Christian men and women, boys and girls, we begin to develop and to nurture those attitudes, those thoughts, those ideals those actions that please him. We want to do and say and think those things that he will be able to approve of and to bless. We want to walk in a way that pleases him, a way which is clean and pure and noble and wholesome. We want to walk in a way which will advance the kingdom of Christ 
amongst my fellow believers that will encourage others in the faith. I want to do those things and be walking in a way that will cause my own spiritual life to thrive and to prosper. I want to walk in a way that will cause those outside of Christ to, to, to look in, as it were, with jealousy. You know, I remember um, one time as a, as a little boy, freezing cold, um, out shopping with mum, and you, you're looking inside the shop, and there's all the things you can't have because <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't rich enough to go in and buy them. And I want people outside of Christ to be pressing their noses against the window and saying, whoa, look at all of those things. But the truth of the gospel is you can go in and have them all because of Christ. And so we develop the same mind as Christ. But then let's look at this. If I neglect to think about the past, if I don't keep reminding myself of it, then my walk will become casual and half-hearted. My love for Christ and the things of Christ will cool and my zeal for him will wane and will flag. That's if I begin to neglect the past. But if I forget the past, then I will not walk with him at all and I will then be in grave spiritual danger. So that is why we regularly, we constantly give ourselves to the means of grace. Those means of grace which are both public and are private. And by that, I mean those things, those activities, those actions which God can bless to us and give us grace through them. And so we do not neglect fellowship or the breaking of bread. We don't neglect the Sunday services or the Bible studies. We neglect none of those things, prayer and so on. Those things that are both public and those things that are private. And we, we are always doing those things as best we are able. But then as we walk with him, as we saw this morning, we come to know him better. And our love for him grows. And our faith becomes more sturdy, more robust, more steady. And we look back in wonderment. And our wonderment grows too. We look back and we see more and more the vastness of what Christ has done for us. And it becomes all the more astonishing. Our understanding becomes more clear, yes. But it becomes more difficult to take in. The more we know about what Christ has done for us, the more difficult it is to comprehend it. And so we become more confident in the present. We live in the present. We're walking with Christ. And if we're walking with Christ in the present, then that gives us confidence for the future. The Lord Jesus Christ has made very clear and very bold promises regarding our future as believers. And because we know him so well, we believe him for the future. We trust him for the future. He's not a man to break his word, is he? We make promises. At best, we intend to keep them. But sometimes we forget the promise we've made. Sometimes after a while, we realize we've overpromised. And sometimes the busyness of life takes us away from remembering what we've promised. 
But Christ has made promises regarding our future. And he will keep every single one of those promises. And so here we are then, our future. Every book in the New Testament, except those three shortest letters, speak of the Lord's return uh, or some aspect of our Christian future. And so as Christians, we become those who are watching. We have a glorious future in the gospel and we watch for it. If, if our past is, is wondering, if our present is walking, then our future is watching. Now, it's not the watch of idleness. We're not caused to sit around and simply gaze into the future saying, oh, it's all going to be, it's rosy, the Lord's given it to us. It is an active Christian watchfulness. We continue walking as we are watching. We are living the Christian life as we are watching. Our, our walking is part of our past and our present. In the world, you see, we speak, don't we, sometimes of a vicious circle. Well, this is a gracious circle. Our past is wandering, our present is walking, and our future is watching. Dear friends, as Christian believers, we can watch and look into the future peacefully. He who has promised is faithful and he will do it. He has promised that none shall pluck us from his hand and that no one shall separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. Now, if he has promised that none shall pluck us from his hand, that means that there will be those times and those circumstances when that looks probable. He's not told us that he's going to, that none shall pluck us if there's never going to be an attack upon us being held by Christ. But because he is all powerful and because he is gracious and loving, he will keep us and no one shall be able to pluck us out of his hand. No one shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need to be clear here. The Lord God has not promised, our Saviour has not promised any exemption or any freedom from testings or trials or tribulations of life. Those things come to us. We don't come to Christ uh, and then float effortlessly and with uh, on, on cushions of ease and all the rest into the heavenly realm. No, no. Our problems continue our difficulties our trials our testings they're, they're all there and they continue but with those promises sorry with those things he has promised to take us safely through them all he has promised to be our guide and to be our God hasn't he promised to be a very present help in trouble well if we never find trouble in this life we will never know his help. And so he is pleased to, to allow these things to be brought into our lives so that his keeping power is shown and is manifest. He is a very present help in trouble. And our, the promise is that one day we will be with him in heaven. That's our future. 
One day our Lord will return. We will see him. And if we are on the earth at that time, we will be transformed in body and soul. And we'll be raised up to be with him forever. He will make this world new and clean and pure, just as it was at the first. And that will be the new population that will be in the world. It'll be Christian believers, perfected in body and in soul. That's our future or part of it, isn't it? And so, while we walk with him in the present, and while we remember our past, we also keep our minds and our eyes upon the future. And so we watch. We are waiting. We are looking. We are longing for his return. And when we see him, we will see him as he is. And so our time, it's nearly up for this evening. But some final thoughts regarding our future. Sorry for our encouragement. Through the gospel, we have become heirs of Christ. We have become inheritors. And part of that inheritance we enjoy now. Of course we do. But there are fuller and richer things yet to come. There is a fuller and richer inheritance yet to be revealed. It is an inheritance which Christ will bring with him when he appears. That's why we read from First Peter. Peter speaks of our living hope. We have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance which is imperishable, which is undefiled and unfading. And where is it? Why? It is kept in heaven for us. Well, what about us? Our inheritance is in the, in the heavens being kept for us. What about us on the earth? And Peter goes on and says to us, doesn't he? That we, by God's grace and power, we are guarded and kept so that our in inheritance, which is kept and reserved for us, and we who are guarded at some point will be brought together. And that will happen when the Lord returns. It's wonderful promises regarding the future. Our inheritance is kept, it's safe. We are guarded, we are kept, we are safe. And one day the two will be brought together. It's like being in the solicitors, isn't it? And you go in there and you know that in the strong room is a will. And that will has got your name on it. And that's how it is with us. That strong room keeps that will, that the promise of the future safe for us. It has our name on it. And that's how it is with Christ. He has a, our inheritance and he's guarding it. He's keeping it, protecting it. It won't fade, it won't falter, it won't change. It's kept, it's bright. And he's keeping it for us. And he's keeping us as well. So that one day he can take us uh, and bring us to our inheritance. This, dear friends, is the great, the eternal plan of God. And so as Christian believers, and with this we do close. As Christian believers, we live in those three dimensions we live in the past, looking to the past, and we continue to wonder at our salvation. We live in the past with all that wondering at God's great plan of salvation for us. We live in the present, 
and we continue walking with that glorious grace of the Savior. And whilst we're doing that, wondering at our past, walking every day with our Savior, we keep remembering our future and we keep watching for the return with keen anticipation. And so our hearts are constantly saying, Maranatha, it's the word we find at the end of Corinthians, Maranatha, even so, Lord, quickly come. We want we want to please him while we're walking with him. Oh, but we long for him because the bottom line is that he, he is our inheritance and nothing could be finer. Amen. Amen.